Folks, take it from me, NBA legend Bill Walton. Like all great experiments in American history, the 3 and D Love podcast will revolutionize your life. Welcome to the 3 and D Love NBA podcast. Thanks for joining us, and I'm your host, Michael Eaney. We're joined, as always, by the brother, Ryan Eaney, and, of course, our namesake, the venerable D-Love, Derek Lovegren. Here we go. Welcome to the 3 and D-Love NBA podcast. Tonight, we have a special guest. We are joined by Zach Crane. Uh, Zach is the author of I See You Big German, uh, Dirk Nowitzki and what he means to Dallas and me. Uh, Zach is also a senior editor of D Magazine and he lives in Dallas. Uh, Zach, thanks for joining us tonight. Thanks for having me. So uh, before we get into uh, I See You Big German, which is a is a phenomenal read. I, I personally really enjoyed it. I'm just curious, you know, let's fast forward to today's time, right? We maybe have a, you know, a, a replacement for Dirk and Luka Doncic. I mean, what's your feel... <laughs> For the the currently uh, eighth seeded Dallas Mavericks here uh, in this current season. Oh, I mean, it's been frustrating so far, but I think we're finally at long last getting to see more or less what they're like. Right before the break, was it was it really the the Mavs team that I expected going into the season? So um, I think it's going to be a good, fun second half of the season, and it's just you know. It's been amazing since Luke has been here. I, I don't think there is, I can't imagine another story where a guy stays, you know, uh, the most, probably one of the two or three best uh, foreign players in the NBA of all time. The, probably the best European player plays here, plays in a city for 21 seasons and then kind of just hands the baton off to another guy who's got basically the same story coming here at 19. It's incredible. I mean, it really is. I just, I think that's, that is one of the remarkable things. And you actually hit on it at the end of the book. And, and I'm curious to hear more uh, of your thoughts there. I mean, it's something that I feel like so rarely happens. And even when it does happen, you know, I think in San Antonio, we potentially thought that, you know, you have a, a an unassuming sort of leadership oriented superstar in Tim Duncan, kind of quickly followed by Kawhi Leonard, maybe someone who initially we thought would, was of a similar ilk and, and instead, obviously, that didn't work out. Um, Doncic seemingly is stepping into a very similar role uh, in the organization and in the community. And, and his play is obviously um, even accelerated past even the most hopeful of expectations. I mean, where do you see this team going? Obviously, Porzingis presents some challenges, potentially. Uh, not quite the, the partner in crime that I think everyone hoped for. But um, um, where do you where do you see this going? I mean, I'm trying not to get too far ahead of myself and uh, trying to remind people around here and even and Isaac that, you know, um, my son, that the the uh, it doesn't always go straight, straight up progress. You know, it, it there's sometimes a step back and there's sometimes a kind of step sideways and you can't just imagine that it's a straight march to a title. But I mean, I think everybody here feels like a championship is on the table at some point, you know, and as long as we can keep Luca happy and, and surround him with the right team, you know, with Dirk, it took a long time to actually find that team, you know, maybe he was kind of what most people would have expected to be on the tail end of his career. He'd already been here 
I think, 12 or 13 seasons by the time it actually happened. So, you know, nobody knew he's going to play another eight after that. But, um, you know, with Luca, I think they're being really smart and, and really trying not to make any, uh, not to screw anything up that would uh, kind of, you know, they're trying to keep that window open as long as possible and not really so far making any, like, making any, um, you know, rash decisions. And so I like that, you know, you know I, I, I think years past a Mavericks team started like this, we already would have traded for Kevin Love or, or something like that that doesn't really fit with the timeline. Um, so it feels like they're doing it pretty smart so far. I mean, you know, knock on wood, obviously. Uh, and there's always the possibility that something similar would happen with, uh, you know, Kawhi. Uh, you can never predict that, but so far, I think we're we're doing a pretty good job. I hope. Definitely. I have to ask if you're teaching Isaac uh, the importance of patience as a sports fan, as a Mavericks fan. How how is that oh, going? It's awful. Uh, it's terrible. <laughs> or does he have to learn the hard way? He's, yeah, I mean, I see. Uh, it's funny because we haven't had a really great team until until uh, you know last year probably a, a team that you could really like live and die uh with for most of his watching time you know he he was there for the championship but he was so small and he's 16 now and we've always watched but like in terms of like living and dying with the team it's only started really happening last season and then this season and he just you know will watch a game and he'll just be beside himself if something happens he's just getting up off the couch and screaming at the tv so yeah i'm trying to teach him patience but i mean you know <laughs> and that's that may or may not change yeah, right? i mean like and i'm thinking back of how i was uh <clears throat> let's say 2003 through 2011 and you know if the mavs had a bad game i wouldn't be able to sleep very well or i'd be you know all those things and so yeah i mean i can tell him all i want but it's He's going to do what he's going to do. It's But it's fun to see that because he hasn't been that kind of fan. He hasn't had an opportunity to be that kind of fan. He is a Mavs fan through and through, but there's not been a team that you can really put all your hopes on. And I definitely saw that happening last year and this year. It, it It's also, you know, some of these tough losses uh, have, have really, you know, he'll go out and take a walk, <laughs> go take a long sports walk. <laughs> The vintage, the, the vintage sports walk. I, oh, think yes. is, I think we've all known that life. <laughs> yes, the vintage. The, I think it, as you get older, you just become less demonstrative. I think in how you react to things, and you just internalize the anxiety. But it's still the same type of anxiety. Would be my. <laughs> I, I, I don't know, D. That was not the uh, the experience in in our house. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Zach, I. You know, not to not to jump too far ahead. Obviously, getting into Dirk and his sort of career trajectory in Dallas is a, is a fascinating story in its own right. But I think one of the things that you really weaved through the book and and is sort of you know hinted at in the subtitle is this idea of of what Dirk could have meant to you and you already mentioned Isaac, your son. Can you speak to that a little bit? I think a lot of us, you know, have formative relationships around sports and being fans with our fathers. I think that was a really interesting sort of thread throughout the book that I would love to hear you expound on. 
Uh, yeah, I mean, I didn't have that sort of relationship with my own father. Not, I mean, we connected on different levels, but he was never much of a sports guy. Um, you know, my brother was and, and some of my uncles, but we never really had that kind of thing. That was always kind of my own thing. Uh, and so it's been really great to share that with Isaac, um, you know, without trying to push it on him too much. If he didn't like basketball, I mean, I would have been, I would have been fine with that. Uh, but, you know, I kind of let it, let him come to it on his own a little bit. But it's been something that's been really great for us to, um, you know, it's always been something that there's been a couple of times where we've got into, you know, arguments or I've been mad at him for something he did at school or didn't do would really be the, <laughs> you know, the case there, you know. And so we've we've I've been mad at him for something, he, you know, some schoolwork he didn't do or didn't turn in and. You know, eventually there would always be a game and we'd be able to kind of thaw it out um, through that. So that's been it's been something that, you know, that was that was great. And, it, you know, I think Dirk is a really unique case because, you know, you always have your team, you know, whoever it's always a team is always a constant. But there's it's so rare that a player is a constant, too. I mean, two decades and and we came to town pretty much at the exact same time as I wrote in the book. So <clears throat> Dirk was just like really always been there for me in Dallas up until the last couple of years. So it's, uh, and I didn't really, 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 really think about that until I sat down to write the book. I mean, he was just always there. So I didn't really think about it that much, but when I, <clears throat> you know, when I first started just sketching it out, I was just like, well, this is, this is weird because, you know, I never really thought about, I moved to Dallas, you know, two, two or three months before he, he got drafted and, and then he was in town. And so we kind of spent those kind of, you know, wild, wild first years in Dallas at the same time. So it, it was something that's always kind of, uh, you know, it's kind of funny to look back on. Zach, do you have any any photo, photographs and cowboy hats, um, lassoing? <laughs> Other, no. Man, I wish I did. You know, I have a uh, I have a sh- I, have, I have that I have that uh, image on a shirt somewhere that I got off of T Public. But, uh, it's such a it's such a great photo, uh, iconic photo around Dallas. He's got so many. I mean, he just like kind of walked into it between that and uh, him and Nash him at and the Nash press and conference, Nash the bleach hair, and then. Uh, him and Nash out at the at the bar. Uh, it's so many. I think I think Nash has a lot more of him out at the bar. There's there's. Uh, I think he was a bit more about town <laughs> than uh, than Dirk was. Well, and Zach, I think at the onset of this book, right, you're sort of you're starting to outline Dirk's transition from this sort of small town in Germany, and and ultimately this decision to then settle in Dallas to ultimately come over when he was drafted, uh, you know, and you, and you parallel that with your own journey back to Dallas. I, I mean, I think speak to just what his sort of settling in process was in Dallas with a guy like Steve Nash, who sort of somewhat sort of brought who's had a couple of years ahead of him in the league and, but kind of brought him along and, and Holger uh, Holger's role in all of this. I mean, I think there's just such a fascinating degree of, of multiple really, I mean, remarkable characters in Steve Nash or Dirk or Holger or Mark Cuban is sort of a new owner. I mean, there's so much to, 
there was so much there. How did you kind of parse through all the different pieces that were happening there with this through line of Dirk ultimately uh, throughout his career? Well, I mean, I've talked to a lot of people and, you know, the impression you get from 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 those early days is that he really did not have any idea what it was like not to live in America, but just to live on his own. He didn't. Uh, there was a, you know, team employees would come over to his house and he would have just paychecks just sitting there, you know, like, you know, he didn't know anything. And so I was thinking about this earlier today um, and. I really do believe that if Dirk had had been drafted, you know, if that hadn't been a trade and he'd ended up in Milwaukee or he had, you know, the Mavericks hadn't picked him, he'd gone to Boston. I really don't know if he would have had that long career. I don't know if he would have stayed past that first contract. I mean, he came into the right environment and it's not just like necessarily the Mavs organization. And he definitely had a ton of people there who were kind of, you know, he had a second mother who was working in the payroll department who was really like kind of showing him the ropes. And um, but, you know, he had Nash and he had it was the exact right environment, you know, a little bit, of, you know, not not too big of a city, not too of bright of a spotlight, um, you know. And then after he'd been here a couple of years and he got Cuban and, and Cuban took care of him, too. So it. You know, I think it, he might not have he might not have uh, he might not have lasted in the NBA more than three years. He might have been just one of those guys. Uh, not to say he wasn't strong enough. He just he just might not have liked it. He might not have uh, had a reason to stay. And uh, you know, I think uh, I think Dallas definitely uh, welcomed him as a person. And I know he probably had some. Uh, some rough moments as a basketball player and so did Nash. But I think as a person, um, Dallas was the exact right spot for him. And it's, uh, it's a lot more welcoming than I think people give it credit for uh, from the outside. I mean, I understand the stereotypes of Dallas and, and a lot of them are true, but there's a lot of, there's a, um, you know, uh, especially to, to people from outside of uh, the uh, state and the country. I mean, it's a very welcoming place for outsiders. Because I think it's always been a place that's, you know, built on a kind of like this is where you can make your mark type of place. And, uh, and yeah, and so I think uh, I think he was the right place for him. And uh, but yeah, I mean, he had no idea what he was doing when he was when he first came here. I mean, he just absolutely. Well, my one of my favorite, I think, kind of. Uh, pieces of his personality is this dynamic where he sort of is innately confident in his own kind of capabilities, particularly as a basketball player. And simultaneously he's sort of open to the fact that he may fail. Like at every step he sort of shows up and he plays a little bit, whether he's running practices with like his peers or he's doing things in Germany or ultimately he came over and played with some NBA guys, and like at every step, he's quoted literally as kind of, "Well, we'll see, I guess." And then <laughs> yeah. he, you know, he, he he like makes some shots, and he's like, "Well, I I hit some eighteen footers, so I guess I can do it." And you're like, "Oh wait, now you're like a top twenty five player of all time, right?" I mean, it's just it's a really fascinating like dynamic for compared to I guess the 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 archetype of of these dominant NBA players, right? You you think of the Kobe's or or the the Jordans, right? These guys that are just cutthroat, that 
um, are ultimately com- crazily competitive in every single thing they would sort of ever do. And Dirk didn't seem to have that that gene quite as much. Is that a fair assessment? Oh, do yeah, you think? absolutely. I mean, he's a he's a killer, but just remarkably open about the, the I mean, just how you put it, like, I mean, just the fact that he could possibly fail. You don't really see that in athletes at all because i don't know i mean they've been taught from an early age not to not to be weak in any way and not to and to believe in themselves and and you know it's just it's it was it was, it was striking looking back on those quotes from you know right before he joined the league and then after just about how much he was open about like i'm maybe i'm not good enough or maybe i won't be able to do this or uh that's kind of how it goes. I mean, it's, it's, it was really, you know, I read those things, but I, I, I kind of forgot about them. And, um, uh, probably the, the most recent was, uh, the whole kerfuffle in like 2009 uh, with Denver where the TNT guys were talking about, uh, made that whole big thing about, you know, when he said they had some guys who could defend him pretty well. And, um, he wasn't saying that he couldn't beat them. He's just like, they have a pretty, you know, guys who can candle me. And it turned into like such a, a, a giant production um, over nothing. And I know that's sort of how the inside the NBA thing goes. But I mean, you know, look back on that. And it's just really, <laughs> I don't know. It was, it was, it was kind of, uh, it was nothing. But I mean, it, it's the fact that even he would just like show you even like that tiniest of cracks is enough for them to to seize on because none of those guys would have done that even you know um chris weber who i loved as a player but you know he failed a lot and so <laughs> you know he 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 had some things you know going back to michigan that were you know and so i was gonna say north carolina is grateful <laughs> for that yeah. well. <laughs> you know but i mean just like uh with with Weber, you, you think back to the, the, the Western Conference Finals with the Lakers, and he was definitely like a little bit shook coming into, you know, in, in Game 7 there, and um, or Game 6 maybe it was. And I think people would like Chris Weber a lot more if he, like, talked about that, you know. And I think that's probably why people kind of take to Dirk, because he is kind of more human than a lot of athletes end up being. You know, uh, I think just it's not necessarily those guys. I mean, it's just the system. You know, you come through AAU and and all that, and it just all the all that kind of part of it kind of gets uh, beat out of you, just coming up. And uh, he's definitely a different guy when it comes to that kind of thing. Yeah, and it seemed like that that narrative of him, you know, being soft and not coming through in, in the clutch. That it was always that it was baseless and and unfair and it just seems like it it was that much more of a of a testament to his inner fortitude for him to obviously eventually win the championship because you know over time i think that narrative if you're i don't know how attuned he was to what kind of image or perception there was um of him but it seems like that can kind of uh take on a life of its own that you can start to even have more you know self-doubt and you you hear the narrative and and then when you do fail, it feeds into that. But it's but just the fact that he did. I mean, he prevailed to, to lead the team to the championship 
fully dismisses any of that narrative of him being soft, and which was again, you know, baseless anyway. It seemed like. Oh, for sure. I mean, I think he probably felt that definitely in terms of just like it's maybe never going to happen for me, and that definitely mm. probably snowballed on itself after two thousand six and two thousand seven, mm. and then you know. And he's thinking it's going to like, oh, well, I'll at least get to the finals, you know, and then 2008, 2009. I mean, so I think by the time he won the championship, he did probably have at least a pretty broad sense of that. Maybe I'm just not going to be able to get this done. But, yeah, I mean, you're right. It never was. Um, it's fun. I mean, like he was never it, soft. I think a lot of it comes from the the fact that he didn't get to play in the in the 2003 Western Conference Finals and had to sit out for the knee injury. And I think people got the sense because there was a narrative from that that maybe he could play that he didn't want to or that he was worried. And, and uh, it just, like, you know, once one of those, once something like that happens, it's hard to shake it, and especially for a European player. And they already have that... Um, that sort of stigma, which they don't have it as, as much anymore. It's not because of Dirk necessarily, but you know. well, I was going to ask that Zach. I mean, I was, I hadn't thought about this much in the last decade, but it's not, and it's not like guys like, you know, Giannis or Jokic or Doncic are really bandied around as being soft players, even though, right. You know, Jokic and Doncic particularly are sort of skilled Euro guys in that sort of classical mold, but none of them get called soft. I mean, did, do you think Dirk, like, sort of single-handedly just <laughs> annihilated the perspective of Euros as being soft? I mean, because I think everyone, I think, by the time it was said and done, it was like, this guy is a total badass, and, and uh, we, we, don't, we should never suggest, you know, slander his name by suggesting that he would be soft. I think maybe. I mean, I, I don't, I mean, he, I doubt he would take credit for it, but one thing I think that happened was after, after that 2011 run, you saw Durant and Kobe and now like LeBron and several other guys, they took that, that one legged fadeaway into their own uh, arsenal. And I think that spread out to just be like, all right, we, you know, between that, uh, him winning the championship and, and that, that iconic shot and, and people taking that on, I think that just kind of like, whatever for whatever reason people just forgot about you know there being any sort of stigma against european players and um you know and this next wave all these guys are, are actually you know Jokic and, and and luka and uh and Giannis. i mean they generally get it done there's not a whole lot of uh you know you certainly couldn't call Giannis soft and and in the in those guys and and Luca has already proven that he can that he can do this. So uh, I never really thought about it, how it went away, but I mean it, it probably that probably does have something to do with it. I, I think a lot of it is just like uh, you know every I, I think he was sort of uh, he was in the club after you know Kobe and uh, and Durant and 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 LeBron like all all started taking on his moves. You haven't really seen that a whole lot, you know, I mean, even, uh, I mean, even now you see on Twitter, there's debates as to whether Larry Bird would be able to hack it in, in, in the, in the league now. So it's, 
it's always it's some of those things are always up for debate but uh, it helps when you have the the top guys basically going all right these guys are badass so you know which they did repeatedly yeah i love the comparisons like you draw in the book between dirk and kobe uh, i hadn't really thought about that much obviously you know kobe <laughs> lent lent the title to the book and mm-hmm. um but just that they both shared that maniacal approach in that and the swagger that Dirk had which you'd forget like I, I love your descriptions after he he hit hit a big shot and just his sneer and his smile you know that whole thing I mean that was really his trademark and there was a lot of overlap with with Kobe with that do you see anyone now who um, is currently playing who has that reminds you of that that has that they just want to play they want to practice they're always working they're always getting better um, and then just that maniacal approach to basketball I mean, Giannis is definitely a guy like that, um, you know, uh, who is just, he seems like somebody who that's like the, that's all he mo- mostly cares about. Um, he still hasn't been able to work his way to getting a, a pretty reliable jump shot. But I mean, he's, uh, he's definitely a guy like who who is, who is like, I think Durant, uh, to a certain extent, is somebody who does not much care about um anything else other than other than uh other than playing um i mean and obviously uh, you know lebron is that way he's got all of his other things going on but when it comes to uh he's if you just look at how much he's uh worked on his game and his body how much he's spent on his game and his body i mean he's, he's uh, probably spending a million dollars a year just being in insane shape <laughs> And, you know, he's a good, he's a great three-point shooter now. He's got the one-legged fadeaway. <laughs> he can pretty much do anything. And and so I think he gets, he has so much other stuff going on that I think you forget about how maniacally he, he takes his uh, his basketball. Um, it's a, um, I'm trying to think of who other, who else uh, reminds me of that. I would say, um uh, well, those are the main guys, I would say, yeah. That's great. I was also curious to get your perspective. You know, Mark Cuban is a big – he's a character in the book, maybe more of a supporting character. Obviously, like you mentioned earlier, had a big influence on Dirk. Um, they, their relationship um, was incredibly strong and, you know, contributed to Dirk being such a big part of Dallas for so long. But you know, what's your take on – Mark Cuban as a as a Mavericks fan because you you do as you read through the book you start saying okay he didn't draft Dirk or trade for Nash but then he didn't re-sign Nash he had conflict with Don Nelson he put in Avery Johnson as the head coach and obviously I mean similarly he wins the title in 2011 it sort of brushes everything across but then you get to the past 2011 some of the decisions and things that went into that sort of period now again, he, he they got Luca, so he's gotten the big things right. But it's just, what's your take on him as an owner and sort of his his credibility, his reputation for being a great owner versus some of his decisions? Um, that's a good question. He's a I, I would say, just about any basketball fan would love to have an owner like Cuban because he just cares so much about uh, about the team, and I think whatever mistakes he's made, they've been honest mistakes in terms of trying to get the team better. 
So uh, I appreciate that. Uh, yes, he has gotten his own way uh, a fair amount. Um, not as much recently. Uh, I think he had a... a the only time I, I kind of questioned his judgment was probably when uh, Chandler Parsons was here and it seemed like he was probably um, a little more infatuated with uh, with Parsons over, you know, the rest of the team. Um, I think he does get too much credit for... Uh, I think the uh, the Mavericks are really terrible in, in drafting uh, players overall. We've gotten a few hits uh, and a few big hits like Luca and Dirk, but overall, uh, we are very poor drafting, and it's it's frustrating because I think that's it's such an easy way to get uh, young guys and cheap guys, uh, and it's a great way to build a team, and it's something that we have never been good at. Um, you know, even this, I always, but you know, I'm a sucker. So every year when they, whoever they get, <laughs> if they get somebody, I'm just like convinced that, all right, I want it like this year. <laughs> no offense to Josh Green, but I wanted, uh, I was, I was hoping, praying that we could get Sadiq Bay, And then it fell to us and we could have had Sadiq Bay, and then we took Josh Green. It's like, all right, well maybe, maybe they knew something I don't. And, uh, <laughs> And then uh, when we have the we had the I think this first or second pick in the second round I was like well the other guy I want is Desmond Bain and he was right there too and then it's like we don't get those and both those guys are playing pretty well and and so it's just like all right well you know we trade a lot of draft picks uh, mostly for the good you know the thing I love about Cuban is that he just he takes huge swings and sometimes they don't pay off but a lot of times they do and he's just not willing yeah. to sit there and um, and do nothing. Um, you know, and like probably probably some people would give him a little, um, you know, dispute how he handled the last, you know, maybe four or five years of Dirk's career. But, um, I mean, there wasn't a whole lot of other stuff we could have done other than uh, I think we really screwed up the, uh, uh, the t- the champion the title defense. I, I that was a again that was an honest mistake. I think he he really did not understand what the was going to happen with the salary cap and he was trying to do the prudent thing for once at the time you know like actually not you know he'd he'd, he'd paid a lot of uh luxury tax money and and he was actually doing a smart thing and, and building for the future and then it didn't actually work at all so i would have loved to have seen us actually defend that title um you know it was so weird though i mean it was it's such a bummer that that we won the title the and lockout. The lockout. Yeah, the book reminded that, me of that. That yeah. that, that timing, that bad timing, definitely contributed to that. Well, one thing also I think a lot of people don't remember is that um, you know there was the lockout, and then we went in uh, to the playoffs as a, I think the eighth seed, and we could have swept the Thunder. It was a we lost. I think we ended up getting swept, or it was a gentleman sweep. I don't remember off the top of my head. It was either. 4-1 or 4-0, but we could have won all four of those games. I mean, I think two went to overtime, and um, I think there was one legitimate, like, blowout. But all those other games came right down to the wire, and so we did have a we had a shot there. But, uh, I mean, a Cuban is a um, – I don't really get into him in a whole lot of the book because I didn't want to take away from it, but uh, he's a 
you know, and there's another thing about Cuban is, is um, uh, before I worked at the magazine, when I was, I was working somewhere else and I just, it was a playoff, uh, there was a playoff game. That was when I still had uh, season tickets or half season tickets. And they had a peculiar thing that would happen during playoff games where, you know, the Mavs would get a, 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 a roll going and the other team would have to call timeout to get them to, you know, cool them off. And everybody's still cheering. And then the Mavericks would have like their in-ring announcer guy come out and like, you know, shilling for T-shirts. You know, hey, you know, go down to the the American Airlines hangar and you can get uh, playoff T-shirts. And it would make everybody <laughs> shut up. And I was like, I said, and so I sent Cuban an email. And I was like, you have to have him stop doing this because it's played right into their hands. And he actually responded and said, okay, done. We'll do that. And wow. this was... In like 2000, uh, I was working, uh, this might have been in like 2005 or 2006 or wow. something like that. And actually, like, yeah, responded fairly quickly and said he would do it. And they did stop doing it, you know, at least for that, that run. And so I, I can't imagine that's a, unique, yeah. an owner. Yeah. Another, yeah, I mean, so you know, if Cuban's a good, he's a, he's he's a good, uh, He's a good owner to have. I mean, it sometimes drives you crazy, but uh, I mean, much in a, in a much better way. I mean, here in Dallas, we also have Jerry Jones, and I mean, I'd, you know, I'd much rather have. You know, I'm not much of a Cowboys fan, but I mean, so I'd much rather have Mark Cuban in my life than than, than Jerry. You know. I mean, to be truth be told, even with the Shark Tank distraction, you know, they may have cost you, you know, Darren Williams and Dwight Howard, but. Uh, that, that's no big deal when it comes to. I'm glad we didn't go Dwight right? Howard. <laughs> we, we lucked out on that one. <laughs> I have to ask when when finally got over the hump and winning the 2011 championship. Um, I think of this that there's a Greg Popovich line I remember where he said, you know, losing is misery and winning is is a relief. And I think felt like that was a theme in your in your book of just of all the the heartbreakers and just yeah, the, the suffering of, of a sports fan. But, and, and obviously the 2006 uh, heartbreaker of all heartbreakers losing that series. But when, uh, when they finally won in 2011 and beating the heat, obviously is something extra to that, but uh, what did, did it feel like the pure joy that you would expect as a fan? Or was it just more of a relief that, you know, we, we finally did it. Uh, it was a little bit of both. I mean, like the immediate, the immediate in the like 30 to 40 seconds after they, uh, it was, the game was over. I mean, it was just pure joy. And probably a lot of that had to do with Isaac being there. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, how, how excited he was and it just like jumping into, jumping into my, uh, into my arms and I was jumping around for a minute. But then right after that, yeah, it was, it definitely felt like just relief because it's something that we'd been so close to and it just felt like it was never going to happen. And it, it just felt like you know, even in that series, even though it was never a danger, there was just always in your head, how are we going to screw this up? How is this going to end up being embarrassing for us? You know, <laughs> and... So, I mean, it's just because that's what always happened. And so until, I mean, even 
in game six. It, I mean, it took a long time to that game before I was just like, all right, we're actually going to win this. That's, wow, okay, this is happening. <laughs> because every time you'd get that feeling before, it would just spectacularly backfire, you know, every single time. It, it was it was just like, but it did, I mean, it did feel different that year because we swept the Lakers and that would have always killed us. That's what I mean, like, even that in that yeah. season, like, in the playoffs, we had the, um, you know, the Brandon Roy game, and that felt like, uh, <laughs> God, here we are again, you know? And so, but then we get past that, and then we go to the Lakers, it's like, well, all right, well, the Lakers are going to kill us, and then we win the first two, and then we win three, and then it's clear that we're going to win that series. And he was like, all right, well, how are we going to... Now we get to the Western Conference Finals. How are we going to, like, what's going to happen here? And just, like, you never get that feeling. So it was not until, like, game six that I was just like, we're going, oh, my God, we're going to, I can't even believe this. We're going to win this. And it just worked out so perfectly that it was against the, the Heat, you know. I talked to Dirk before, and he said he didn't care. And maybe that's true, maybe it's not. But I think he probably did feel it was nice to, to beat the Heat. Mm. Um, and, and I know... I'm sure Cuban wanted to beat the Heat. And I think everybody here, I, I just, like, I wanted to play the Heat. I didn't want them to somehow trip up in the in the, in the the conference finals. Once it was clear we were going to play them, I wanted that to happen. It, you know, win or lose, I wanted to play the Heat. And uh, to have it happen against the Heat was so, so satisfying. But, um, yeah, I mean, you know, I've this is the first time I got to feel like, uh, you know, the grace period after a championship and of course I would have wanted to win two but I probably I, I there was five years where I just was like all right it's fine you know we'll have a championship after five years and it was kind of like all right let's let's get going again and then Lucas <laughs> like, showed up so. uh, <laughs> yeah pretty much so yeah exactly um but you know, it's just like it's 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 funny. Like you know, we were we were talking about Isaac and going through the the pain of that. And it's just like I didn't have that pain for any of those years after that. Like you know, where I couldn't sleep after a loss or whatever. I mean, I'm talking regular season losses, not like playoff losses. I would have trouble sleeping on a <laughs> February game against like Milwaukee. Just like, well, the guys didn't show up. All right, I guess I'm just gonna be thinking about this for an hour in bed. So I didn't have that for for five years after that, you know, and I'm starting to get back into it now. Um, but I think now it's more of just like I'm kind of living vicariously through Isaac. I still care so much about it, uh, but it's it's more like I've transferred all that to, to him. And um, I still get worked up during games, but I sleep like a baby after, you know, whereas, you know, he's just now getting into it. <laughs> What am I? Well, my favorite line in the book when we talk about the heartache and the suffering of a sports fan, uh, which was a line you stretched into several pages. Uh, if if only it ended there, if I have the, the quote yeah. right, or ended yeah. then. And it's funny because immediately I could think of as a Blazer fan uh, five or six things. And now I feel like I can almost describe every favorite <laughs> Plays your memory, and then and then add a, if only it ended there. Yeah. <laughs> Even the Brandon Roy game, if only it ended there. No, you guys just came back and won the next two games. So. Oh yeah, I mean, God, like, I I just like you know the 2006 finals. It was. That was that was so heavy because it just 
I mean, I had to be there for the last game and, and to see them lose. And that was just, it was unbelievably heartbreaking to see that and to have to be there for that. And that was, I mean, I really, that, that more than losing in the first round the next year against the Warriors, that just felt like that was going to be like the, the just kind of, that was going to be the, you know, the first, in the first paragraph of Dirk's obituary, that was going to be, you know, famously, whatever, like lost, never won a title, lost 4-2, four straight games. I mean, that's where it felt like it was going to be. Um, so, and that was the, you know, largely my Maverick experience for the first, like, eight, you know, from getting back into it in, uh, in whenever, like 2002, I think, to, to winning the title. It was just so, I know every, everybody's got something like that, but it's just frust- so frustrating. It was, it was pretty and, bad, uh, Zach. I mean, th- like, as a national NBA fan, <laughs> going back through, like, the 03 to 2011, it was like, yeah. I forgot, I was like, oh, the Spurs again? <laughs> the Steve Kerr, Steve know. Kerr, <laughs> you know, it's just like, oh, oh man. my God. Oh, I mean, yeah, that was, um, my God, that was that was that was pretty bad too. It was just I'm just saying it's just like you know, it always happened like that. It was just like some insane whatever. Zach, <laughs> I, like I actually had a just a couple related questions. Was can you just talk a little bit about Steve Nash? I think you know number one would just be what was it like being such a huge Mavericks fan, such a huge Dirk fan, such a huge Steve Nash fan. And then to have him leave and go to such a level of success that, I mean, it wasn't just Mark Cuban that didn't predict that. I don't think anyone thought he'd be a two-time MVP after leaving the Mavericks. Yeah. And to, to beat the Mavericks in the way that the Suns did um, over Jason Terry. And then also just what is the Nash-DeWiskey relationship like now, as far as you know? I mean, are they they obviously have such a unique connection for so long, but is that relationship carried on? Oh, they're... Yeah, no, they're still tight. Uh, I, I've I've seen uh, you know pictures of them going on vacation uh, together. Uh, Dirk and his family, Nash and his family. Um, I think it was recently. I mean, that was probably like last summer. <coughs> Sorry. So yeah, I think um, I think when Steve left, their relationship they weren't they were still friends, but you know they didn't get to see each other very much. And, uh, you know, they still went to dinner and, and things and it, but it just got to be less of a, 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 you know, obviously it wasn't as tight as it, as it had been. But I think once Nash retired <clears throat> and Dirk was kind of winding down, you did see, you know, Nash popping up at games and them together again. So I think it's, I think they've been able to, to pick it back up, you know. Uh, as much as they can, probably le- a little bit less now because Nash is coaching. But before he he joined the Nets, he was still, uh, you know, I definitely saw vacation photos of them great. together. Um, yeah, I mean, when Nash left, I was I was really bummed because I had no sense that he was going going to go on and and win two MVPs back to back. But I was bummed just because there was. It just felt like so much more left to that partnership, and um, it just seemed, and it seemed over not very much money, uh, you know. So it just seemed like I couldn't really figure out why they they pushed him out, 
but in typical Mavericks fashion, you know, he, he left the team and, and won two MVPs. And uh, so, I mean, that was that was pretty much par for the course. It was like, of course, yes. Nash leaves here. He gets in a crazy shape. Yes. But I mean, he went to a perfect situation. And, uh, you know, as, as frustrating as it was, it was, you know, I still I still wanted him to win I wanted him to win a title if he could have if, if it wasn't going to be us I would have liked to see him do it um but you know that's I mean Nash leaving and how the playoffs ended up that next year it was just like I, I always when I talked to Isaac it's just like the NBA is always running on narrative like it just somehow like mm-hmm. these matchups and and the and the storylines it always comes through and that's like I mean the Mavericks having to play the Suns in the in the in the playoffs the, the year Nash leaves. I mean, and and then Nash to hit the three pointer to 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 kill us I mean, on his replacement on 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 Jet on his replacement, <laughs> and then having like Dirk yell at Jet in front of everybody. I mean, it's just like that's the Kobe was coming out even yeah. then. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So I mean, uh, I've always. I, Nash is such a great player. Um, I wish he could have stayed here longer. I do think, you know, I think we would have. I think they could have won a title together. I mean, it, I don't. Uh, the The league was shifting toward the way the Mavericks played as soon as Nash left, and so I think we would have had a good chance at it. Um, maybe sooner rather than later. Uh, maybe I don't know. I mean, like, but I don't know how uh, Nash would have got along with uh, Avery. But maybe Nelson would have stayed. So I mean, it's a whole lot of what ifs, uh, a whole counterfactual right. history. Avery is, uh, is a whole other topic. <laughs> that was a great oh part gosh. of the book where he's like, <laughs> "Don't shoot threes. Work on your defense and rebounding, Dirk." It's like. <laughs> <laughs> he helped, I mean, you know, I was really hard on him in the book. He did help Dirk with some things, but overall, it was just. I never understood his whole deal with what, how he wanted Dirk to play. He wanted to turn Dirk into Tim Duncan, and you know that would have been as dumb as turning Tim Duncan into Dirk. <laughs> Just it doesn't, you know. They're built different, and um, you know, I, there's Dirk was able to take a few things away from Avery's um, the Avery experience, but by and large. I just you know. primarily don't start Devin George in game one of a playoff series. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. We've all been there when the coach makes a move and you're like, Oh no. <laughs> we're, we're That was, you know, that was such a, that was so surprising to me that I didn't even like, I don't think he might even talked about it. Like that wasn't even like an option. And then it just like popped up and yeah, I still remember sitting there and just like uh, getting just like a real, bad feeling in my stomach that something was about to go down. Well, it really does. I mean, it encapsulates the poetic sort of ups and downs of, of Dirk's career, right? It's like encapsulated in Devin George starting against the Warriors in 07, right? It's like, I mean, it, it's just so remarkable. I mean, it's almost out of a book, like his, his career in terms of coming over from Germany, proving himself, never kind of winning the big game. 06, you know, young Wade goes basically Inferno along with Shaq and, and they win four in a row, including Wade shooting an inordinate amount of free throws. <laughs> and then the next year they win 67 games. It's basically the Spurs revenge tour 
that happened after they lost the Ray Allen series in, in 14 and, and the Mavs are coming full circle and then they, they lose to the, we believe warriors like Baron Davis and Steven Jackson and, and Matt Dirk Barnes second father. Like, and that's the great, that was crazy. Like when you describe <laughs> that, like yes. his second yeah. father, I mean, it's like, you're talking about narratives. I mean, yeah. You, you, yeah. I mean, the, you, you laid out so that. well in the book. It's just that was his second dad, and he, he knew what his son – he knew his adopted son's strengths and weaknesses. And, he, and, and yeah, I mean, that's where the you, – you write so well. That's where he – Dirk adjusts. I mean, it's just – yeah. I mean, Dirk is a, you know, a poetic player, and you really brought it out. It's really beautiful. Just those two I mean, seasons – those two seasons back-to-back. I mean, like people – a lot of players have had to deal with adversity on the court. But, I mean, I don't know if – there's not a whole lot of guys who had to deal with that, like that, you know, basically losing, um, being up two no two zero and losing four straight, and then and then losing in the first round after you know, and that year they won sixty seven. I'm off the top of my head. I think they started off like pretty poorly that season. I think they may have even been like two and seven. So the run they went on after that was, I mean, they won. They went like. 66 and eight or something like that and and it was and they lost most of those games in the you know three or four of those games in the last like couple of weeks of the season so it was an insane insane run and I mean, then for all of our listeners just to remind everyone i mean it was so bad for dirk that he literally went to the outback <laughs> in australia for like six weeks i mean <laughs> he needed he needed a reset <laughs> yeah <laughs> the ultimate reset <laughs> well yeah he was after uh, you, yeah. i mean after you get the mvp <laughs> award during the playoffs when you've been run out of the playoffs by an eight seed. I mean, that just, when you go into detail on that, Zach, you're like, I just feel, I felt so bad for him. I was just like, this is terrible. No wonder you went to the Outback. Yeah. That was just, like, like, it was just brutal. Cause he's already so self, he's already so hard on himself. Like you're saying, he's not someone who's like, just only just kind of ignores all the negativity or criticism and everything. He takes it so personally. It was just when he's, when he finds out he won the MVP, like that's a, a great oh, anecdote yeah. of like his friend telling him he won the MVP. And he's like, Oh no, <laughs> you know, it's like the, the, <laughs> yeah. the worst response to winning the biggest honor you can win as an NBA player. It's just, yeah. It's, Something just didn't feel right about that. Like we we shouldn't treat our MVPs that way. I don't care how it ends during the regular season. That is a hard thing to win. Yeah. It's like oh yeah, oh yeah. It was yeah. I mean, I I, I never really watched his uh, MVP press conference until I had to until I wrote this. I mean, I, I'd seen a little bit of it, but mostly after they lost in the if they lost to the Warriors, I just turned off basketball for the rest of the year. Uh, you know, I didn't. I didn't have to go to Australia, but I did have to. I did. I did have to reset for sure after that. If you were, if he invited you, I'm sure you would have gone with. Who gets the top bunk? You were uh, his coach. You know? Yeah, you're right. Oh, man. Well, so, speak, speaking of it, sorry, Michael. Uh, like narratives tying together, I have to share one more thing that I resonated with. Well, two two things. One's very quickly. When you said the Lakers, like it's always the Lakers, yeah. uh, Blazer fans, we know that one very well. Um, but also um, the the I think it was the conference finals. I forget the exact year, but it, it was against the Spurs, and it was when Kirk came off the bench late in the game and made those those four three pointers in in the fourth quarter. Your paragraph, recalled paragraphs of that was was very entertaining. <laughs> um, but as a Blazer fan, so. 
don't know if you remember this or not, but 1992 when uh, we, the Blazers lost to the Bulls on the road in game six. And the fourth quarter started, and this is my recollection, uh, Bobby Hansen uh, made a three-pointer. And it was like like you described with the Harper moment of like, we lost it right there. We just didn't, like part of our brains even knew <laughs> yeah. that we lost it right there, you know, and the rest was just hoping that we were wrong kind of thing. <laughs> and then... And then fast forward where the Blazers win, we lost the, the heartbreaker 2000 conference finals uh, on the road against the Lakers. We had the 15-point lead. And then Brian Shaw uh, made a, a three to end the third quarter and then a three to start the fourth quarter. And it was like, <laughs> no, like I can live with the stars like Shaq and Kobe. If they beat us, that's okay. We can live with that. You can live with Duncan doing what Duncan does, but but not – the 10th man oh, guarded yeah. the quarter, making the threes. <laughs> it always hurts a little bit worse when uh, when it's uh, not somebody to, you figure to be a scrub, but definitely not, yeah. You, you want to get, yes. you definitely want the the general to stab you through the chest. Not like, you know. yes. <laughs> well said. Yeah, I remember, I mean, the that, that Kerr game is just like, as soon as he hit the first one, it's just like, <laughs> I don't know. I, I mean, just as soon as he made that first one, I just definitely got a feeling. It's like, ah, this is over. Like, I still hope, but I mean, just like he just, it just felt right. like it was just building and building and building. And uh, right. oh my god. Well, Zach, I, I am curious. Well, I want to ask one last question. One, is it possible for Luka Doncic to surpass Dirk Nowitzki in his sort of? Uh, position in the Mavs organization and Mavericks lore, and if it is, then what what does he have to do to get there? I mean, is that even is is he even surpassable as sort of the greatest Mav of all time? I don't know if he's surpassable. I think he's maybe tieable. Um, I think people have taken to Luca way earlier than they took to Dirk, but that also has to do with how well Luca has played. Um, I don't know if he'll ever be able to be topped that Dirk will ever be able to be topped just because of how great he was for how long it was here. You know, 20 Luca has to play something on the order of he, I doubt he'll play 21 seasons here, but you know, if he, if he play, you know, he would have to win two titles, uh, more MVPs. Uh, those, those are ways he could beat him, but it just, Dirk is so tied in with this franchise and he's, you know, he'll have a statue out front of the arena at some point and he's got the street named after him. And there's still people who show up to games and number 41 jerseys. Uh, Luca's off to a hot start. I don't, th- I, I don't think you can ever beat him. I think you could tie him. You know, I would imagine it, I'm trying to think of like, I mean, It's it's kind of like you know, go back to Kobe and like is Kobe better than Magic in terms of Lakers? They're all like all the great next generation of Lakers. They always just kind of rise to the level, and so it's it's Magic and 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 Kobe and um, Kareem and Shaq and there's nobody's really ahead of one of the other guys. I think they all get to the same level. Um, but, you know, Dallas doesn't have all those guys. We have one. And so I think Luca can get there. But um, it's going to take a bit to surpass him. You know, 
two a couple championships, a couple MVPs, something like that. Playing twenty five seasons, <laughs> you know. It was it's it seems like it's it's the accomplishments on one hand, but the other hand, and I, I think. Uh, the way I can't remember exactly how you phrased this, but it was the post championship and how, you know, Dirk showed how he committed to the team those last, you know, seven or eight years of his career. That is such a such a key part of his legacy, like the just the, the loyalty and and through thick and thin he was proved that he was gonna, you know, stay with stay the course no matter what. And and there was something about that that was just you know, so special. Um, so, so Luca has to not just do the accomplishments, but also uh, in the latter years of his career, you know, measure up yeah. to that as well. You know, and Luca's still, I mean, just turned 22 and, um, you know, Dirk didn't really come out into the, the community and didn't really make himself a part of Dallas until he was even older than that. So, you know, Luca, uh, I feel like he could get there. He's got such a great personality and such a joy about him that on the court, at least, it's it's been uh, fantastic to to have him on the team. And I think he can probably bring that to the to the city too as he as he gets older. Um, so I'd like to, you know, I, I I'm definitely looking forward to seeing if seeing that possibly happen. Uh, you know, I think he's like just kind of shy, right? You know, off the court. Um, and Dirk was too, um, so I'm looking forward to you know getting to know him a little bit better. Magnificent. Well, Zach, thank you for joining us once again. Uh, his book is titled "I See You, Big German." Uh, it's out. Uh, it was out last week, right? Um, not yet. It's coming out. Uh, I think it'll be out in the next couple of weeks. We just went okay. to the printer. Okay. Well, so. Wonderful. Wonderful. Yeah. Well, I encourage everyone to, to go check it out. Uh, it's a wonderful kind of history weaving through some of Zach's own story and, and, and Dirk's journey uh, as a member of the Mavericks in Dallas. So, Zach, thank you for your time and, and thanks for coming on the pod. Thank you so much, guys. Thank you. Thanks, Zach. That's all the time we have for today. Thanks for joining us at the 3 and D Love NBA Podcast. We'll be back next time. But until then, remember, throw it down, big man. This isn't just a great podcast. It's a triumph of the human spirit.